The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. The moon, yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. State of Digital Publishing is creating a new publication and community for digital publishing and media professionals in new media and technology. In this episode, we speak with Amber Bracegirdle, co-founder Mediavine Publisher Network, on how to build a successful publishing network for sustainable blogger growth. Let's begin. Hi, Amber. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Thanks. Thanks for uh, thanks for um, connecting. Um, how's your travels recently? You said that you're going to oh, yeah, was... conferences. Yeah, we've been to a few conferences. Uh, most recent one was Everything Food in Salt Lake City. We got to hang out with about 525 food bloggers. It's cool. so, a pretty intense couple of days, but now I'm back home with my kiddos and husband, and yeah, it's good. That's awesome to hear. Um, Amber, I want to bring you on to this episode because you do work with a lot of publishers and bloggers and you have the ad network as well. So if I can just pass it over to you just to give a bit, bit of an introduction to people who don't know much about you, that'd be great. Yeah, so my name is Amber Bracegirdle, which is a fun last name to pronounce. My husband is British, and uh, that's where that comes from. I am a co-founder of a company called Mediavine. We started out as bloggers ourselves. We have three sites that we own and operate, the largest of which is The Hollywood Gossip, has about 30 million page views a month. I personally run Food Fanatic, which is our food site. And it was through Food Fanatic and the contributors that we have to, to that site that the biggest arm of our company sort of exploded in the last three years. So a couple of years ago, we were having trouble with our ad company. And one of my co-founders is a programmer and he's the one that built all of our sites and all of this. And he said, I think I can build something that will allow us to, to do this better. And when he built it, he had to build it to flex between our sites because they varied so widely in size. The, you know, the, the Hollywood gossip at the time, I think was around uh, 20 million pages a month, but Food Fanatic was around half a million. So we had to have technology that could flex between those things without him having to program all day, all day, all day. Mm-hmm. And so he built something. And within a couple of weeks, we were out earning our ad company with remnant advertising. And at that point, we realized that if we if we moved from remnant advertising to premium advertising with the technology we had built, like we could solve all of our problems. And so that's exactly what we did. And then, so all that technology was built for ourselves. And then we realized we, you know, I said something to one of our contributors about the fact that we were going to do that. And the first question she said was, well, I'm having the same kind of problems with my ad company. Can you help me too? And so it kind of became this idea of, well, okay, maybe we can help our contributors do that and, you know, be a voice for them because we've got these big sites. And so advertisers kind of listen to us um, and we can sort of bring them in under the fold. Originally, the idea was we'll just do this for our food fanatic contributors. And 
we started out with six of them in June of 2015. Last week, we reached 3,300 bloggers that we work with. Yes. Um, so our com- so our company has grown from six to more than 3,000 bloggers that we work with um, to do their display advertising, which is you know crazy insane. Something we never predicted, never you know purposely went out to do, but it's been incredible because we're able to help these bloggers make a business. You know, our mission statement actually has nothing to do with ads. It's um, we help content creators build sustainable businesses. That's what our mission statement is. Um, Has nothing to do with ads at all. Um, Really, it's just about creating a a better community, making blogs better so that these small business owners can make something that they can then hand off to their kids. Um, That's our goal. And so along with that, we're actually now developing WordPress plugins to help speed things up because our biggest complaint with ads funnily enough is site speed of course so yeah so we we sort of do everything from a very different perspective than other ad companies we do it from a perspective of we're bloggers and we don't want ads that slow down our sites and we don't want plugins that slow down our sites and so that's that's how we operate and that's how we build everything that's pretty impressive and um i guess just to ask you like if you like you said that it was mostly bloggers that are on the ad network do you think that bigger publishers would have joined if if or do you think that they have they would have a similar same problem as smaller bloggers would have in in the sense of the advertising oh absolutely i mean they yeah they yeah they, they definitely have the same pain points. I mean, we work with sites of all sizes. So as small as 25,000 sessions and as big as 30 million sessions, like everybody has the same sort of pain points when it comes to advertising. Ads are slow, creating the connections in order to get the premium advertising is hard work. And the, the thing about Mediavine is that because we're banded together, we actually create this really attractive portfolio that allows an advertiser to sort of really target the reader that they want to target. We're, we're almost entirely a programmatic advertising shop. So what that means is that all of our ads are targeted to the reader that the advertiser wants. Um, so like, for example, when you go on Amazon and you look for something and then that ad follows you around the web, that's programmatic advertising, right? And it's actually meant to be a better user experience and user experience is something that matters to everyone, whether you are the biggest website on the web or the tiniest, Mm -hmm. right? So these are all the same pain points and what we do is take all the heavy lifting, all the hard work, you know, doing all the data analysis to make sure that the ad positions are in the right place and are actually being seen by the the reader and things like that. We do all of that with the technology we've created so that all of these content creators, whether it's a news site or a, or a tiny blogger talking about recipes, can concentrate on creating their content. So let's That's what they're good at. Yeah, definitely. So let's take a step back then. Um, so how were you able to grow Hollywood Reporter through Fanatic, those properties, to get to that point where you then had the contributors? So 
Um, those sites have actually always been contributor sites. That's something that we did right from the start. But the way it's kind of funny. So the company, Mediavine as a company, was actually founded in 2004 by three of my co-founders as an SEO shop. And they were doing SEO for other websites and realized that they could make more money simply by creating a website and doing this for themselves. And so they tried lots of different websites, but the one that stuck and is, and it's hysterical if you, if you ever meet these guys to know that this was what stuck is, is the Hollywood gossip. So it was in the, you know, the days of Perez Hilton and things like that. And so basically they built this site about, you know, what's happening with the Kardashians and the Duggars and the, you know, those sorts of viral things. That's what that website was built from, but it was all about picking the right SEO terms and then getting links back from other Hollywood gossip style sites. And that is what grew that site. And that's also what grew Food Fanatic is the idea of syndication. And it's something that I think is, is, you know, fairly controversial, especially in the food blogging space, um, which is interesting, but syndication is not a new idea, right? News, news services do it all the time. TV shows do it all the time. If you think about it in terms of a TV show, the big bang theory struggled for its first couple of years until it got picked up for syndication by TBS, where they would play it over and over again in the evening. Mm -hmm. And then the show sort of boomed, right? It, it went crazy and now it's the most popular TV show on, on any network. And so the idea of syndication in, in the blogging world is exactly the same, is if you allow people to, to use your good content on their website, then the search engines and everything like that see that you have good content, see that you have links back from these other quality websites, and they promote your content and move it higher in search results. And that's exactly how we grew the Hollywood gossip and how we grew Food Fanatic. And so with Food Fanatic, we started it out with contributors and we allow them to, they basically, we pay them to give us a post first, we run it, and then they're allowed to run it on their website as soon as we've published, but they have to link back to our post in their post. So they get to keep their content and they keep remain their, you know, they remain copyright holders and all of that stuff, but we get to run it first and then they're syndicating it from us. And that just helps us grow. And it actually helps them grow as well because we link back to them too. Yeah, definitely. I, I have an SEO background as well. So I definitely understand some of the technical challenges that people and concerns people might have about content syndication. But like you said, if it's a good site, then the, the benefit mm -hmm. outweigh the, the... yeah. The, the positive the negatives, I guess. Um, yeah, I mean, we often see like people are always so concerned. Well, you know, what happens when your contributor outranks you? And I mean, to us, we say good because we also built an embeddable an embeddable recipe card. So eventually, if someone prints that recipe, they they end up back at Food Fanatic anyway. So we don't really care about that. Um, for us, 
it was more the symbiotic relationship with the contributors and helping them grow and exposing them to a new audience would help us grow. We, we very much operate uh, along the lines of rising tides lift all ships, right? So a lot of times we will outrank the contributor for a little while and then Google will do an algorithm change and, and the contributor will outrank us and vice versa. And, you know, it all depends on who's visited what site with customized search results. So there's no point like really stressing about it, but the, the trend that we see over and over again is whether we rank higher or they rank higher, we've both lifted each other up together it's that partnership here this indication yeah yeah that's what that's what for we, sure i think that's what a lot of publishers are also looking out for as well especially when you're building out a community is that networking and part, even traffic partnerships so that definitely makes sense yeah absolutely so with the with the network now how how do you go about trying to build up the the network so do you I mean, there's, there's obviously going to be natural acquisition of people applying to be right. part of the network, but what's so? Yeah, it's actually really funny. We have never done outbound marketing. Really, we we don't run Facebook ads. We've never emailed someone to pitch them, cold pitch them to come join us. We literally have grown at the rate we've grown at by word of mouth really the only outbound marketing that we do that I would consider outbound marketing is the going to conferences and sponsoring them or we'll sponsor a retreat of one of our publishers, that sort of thing. That's, that's really it. That's all we do. Um, I don't think that we could handle it if we, if we actually did outbound marketing because we already grow at around a hundred sites a week. So yeah, it's just kind of funny because everyone's like, well, what are you doing? And it's really what we're doing is we're just being good at ad management, right? And and also transparency. Like transparency is a really big, like the most important core value of our company. Yep. And so like, you know, there have been times in the past where our technology has screwed up or one of our ad partners technology has screwed up and it meant that, Technically, our publishers didn't earn as much money as they think they did because there was like a reporting error. Yep. And we have always made that right. Whereas I think other companies that I personally have experienced have always said, well, in your contract, it says that you're liable for any discrepancies. And so we're taking that money back. And to us, that's not right because it's down to the technology's fault, not the blogger's fault. Right. And so we've just kind of always operated from that space. And I think it sets us apart. And so people talk about that. And then we just kind of naturally grow. So does that mean in terms of transparency, for example, in that situation that you mentioned that mm -hmm. you'd be willing to even like, if that's the, there's a, there's the uh, faults of the technology and they're saying that they earn more than you're paying out the difference or just simply letting them know? How, how do you define transparency? Well, so we, we tell them. We tell them exactly what happened. And mm -hmm. then we also we also make sure that they are paid what was in what was displayed in their dashboard understood um and and how do you interact with so many publishers is it through the the system they like is there the, i'm sure there's a inbox system or notification system yeah that... we we use um we use a system called intercom that i think is pretty popular across the web you see it a lot yeah. um with the sort of chat bubble in the right hand corner of the screen but the the thing is like there's only so much that a that a ticket system can do for you right so what we do instead is we reinvest constantly 
in our publisher support department. It's our fastest growing department. Um, I think there are 14 members of that department now, and we only have about 40 employees. So it is really the sort of the largest chunk of the department. And we just keep that job opening listed. Like we don't ever take it down because we just keep growing. And for us, we need the human aspect. Like that has been such an important and core part of how we've grown that we, we just keep reinvesting in, in bringing people on to give that personal touch. So that, I mean, I think our, our average response time, even on the weekends is four hours. You have dedicated team members. That, that sounds like it, yeah, for sure. Yeah, 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 we have a dedicated team for answering queries and problems and launching and questions during launch and all that stuff. It's I'm all sure of our publish, publisher support team. Yeah, I'm sure there's some market, marketing automation aspects of it as well, of onboarding that you haven't put in place, right? So the welcome messages and stuff, stuff like that. Yeah, which Intercom definitely does help with, and and our um, director of publisher support is fantastic at processes. Her name is Nicole, and she has really streamlined that entire thing so that there's not a lot of heavy lifting or human involvement. I mean, a lot of it comes back to our technology, right? So we, we run out of a single line of JavaScript which we now run through a plugin. We used to not even run a plugin, but with the advent of ads.txt, which is an industry-wide thing meant to help prevent ad fraud, that is such a new thing. And it and in the file itself can be very brittle. It needs like basically as soon as one advertiser changes something, that file has to get updated across the network. And so instead of running just just the single line, we run a plugin now. But literally, all you have to do is install that plugin, put your username in, and everything has already been tagged up on our side. And then it's just run through the job the yeah, through the JavaScript. What we do in order to place the ads, rather than giving you ad codes that you manually place, mm-hmm. we we tag everything using CSS selectors. So that tells our ads where to insert themselves. Yeah. And then we also, because we run everything programmatically through an auction, like basically it's an eBay auction for your advertising. If someone isn't going to, to meet the floor price that we have for the auction, instead of backfilling it with some of those horrible like back fat and toe fungus ads that you see that are just awful and pay you a fraction of a penny, instead of doing that, because they typically also slow down your site, they tend to be the worst coded ads there are, we just collapse the ad so that it seems like it doesn't even exist. And it speeds up your site for a reader who wasn't going to earn you but a penny. And what we found was that by doing that and not having backfill, site speed increased exponentially, but it only um, meant about a 20, even on our biggest sites, about a $20 difference in the bottom line at the end of the month. So it's completely and totally worth it. So you, just to recap, so you, with, with the ads that you're running now, there's going to be times where you've collapsed the ads and that, does, that hasn't made much difference in the bottom line for your publishers. No, it doesn't, it doesn't make, it makes hardly a dent because what would run in that place instead would be a, a backfill ad that makes you a fraction of a penny. I mean, yeah. Uh, I think that's, oh. that's really good optimization. That's a really good insight um, to, 
Yeah, it's just it's just not worth destroying the user experience for someone who's not going to make you any money. You know what I mean? Yeah, hundred percent. And and with with all sites being so different, how do you make sure that the CSS select is uh, it's dynamic enough to place them in the right areas of the website? Well, so the the actual placement part is done by hand by a human. So we go and we look at the individual website and and tag it up before launch with with a human. But it only takes about five ten minutes to do that. Yeah, this um, is part of the onboarding process. Yeah. Yeah, it's very it's very streamlined and has been from the start. And it was a completely to- completely and totally an accident, right? It was just um, Eric, uh, my co-founder, was being lazy. He didn't want to have to to do this all day long for our own sites, and so he sat back and he thought about how he could not ha- have to do that. And that's this is what he came up with, and it ended up meaning that we could work with any website and launch them in about 15 minutes once we had the ad, the approvals from our ad partners in and it, it i it was accidental it was genius on his part but also completely accidental <laughs> that it could work so well across you know as many sites as it does so there you know there is a little bit of serendipity about it that we're all pretty happy about cuz it means we get to to help a lot of people and have a lot of fun doing it that's awesome. No, I've, I've, really, I've noticed that a lot of MarTech vendors and new companies, they really focus on a simple, really simple problem. They, they don't overcomplicate it, and that's what makes them successful. So even right. like, like it's, it's really good that you guys came to that point. What's been some of the growing points or the learning pains that you've experienced in that time? I guess besides learning a whole new area. Uh, yeah. Keeping staffed uh, to appropriate levels so that we're not all working 18-hour days has definitely been a hard thing for us. Um, but I think that's all startups, you know, um, which is weird because we're, we're a startup, but also we've been in business for 14 years. So that, that has definitely been a thing. We're constantly looking for new talent because we're developing things as well as, you know, having publisher support and marketing is going out to events and we're doing, because there's a, you know, there's a big portion of our company that is just simply about education and building better blogs. It's not about advertising at all. And so we're kind of always trying to, to grow both sides of that. Mm-hmm. And so keeping like finding the right staff for that, that understands our mission and that, you know, we don't necessarily care about the bottom line and we just want to help this community be the best it possibly can be because they have the most valuable readers and they need to be paid appropriately for that is definitely a thing. Um, I would also say under like coming to a point where you get so big that people start to see other motives in what you're trying to do that aren't actually true, but they they sort of decide that's the narrative and there's not much you can do to change that no matter what you say or do, like it gets twisted. That was a surprise to me. Um, but we kind of, we always operate from that place of transparency. And I guess so many people don't that our transparency becomes suspect in some situations. Does that make sense? Yeah, I understand. I was in a 
previous to this in, in an SAIG startup. And the bigger you are, the more you have to defend your position and who you are. So I totally understand. That, yeah. That, that yeah. That was, that was definitely something that we were not uh, expecting, um, which I guess just comes from the fact that we were able to do our own thing for so long and probably our first 500 to 800 publishers, I knew, I knew personally, either I was good friends with them, or I at least knew of them through other friends, because I am a blogger myself. I've been a food blogger since 2008. So it, yeah, it, as we get bigger, and you encounter new personalities that, that you don't have a history with, I think that's where it becomes more and more interesting. And you have to step back and think, okay, I can't, I can't approach this the way I used to because we're not the company we used to be. It's always dynamic. It's always changing. You always have to try to think. Yeah. 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 And, and just try and guide the ship in the best way you know how, just from that perspective of not knowing like what it would be like to be from a, a place of, you know, this tiny little company where we were able to sort of do our own thing. And then as we've grown, we've had to sort of grow up and realize that, that we are bigger than that now. And we have to operate from a different place, but luckily we don't have any outside investors or anything. So we're still able to do the things we want to do. And that's, that's not going to change. Um, we have no interest in selling our company. We get offers all the time and we turn them down because we have so many ideas and things that we want to do. So finding that place of still being who we are, but also being sort of a, a big boy company is probably one of the things that it was a big learning curve for us. Nice. And um, from the competitive landscape, I've noticed from my own that there are like ad serving management companies. There's a few, there's not, the, not that much that I'm aware of. Um, mm -hmm. what, are, what are your thoughts about the competitive landscape? Do you think that, that there is a need for, because uh, I know that there's, there's also the aspect of bigger publishers trying to bring everything in house, given how, like you said, uh, everyone's shifting more to programmatic and there's been a lot of errors in the past and trying to manage, manage it externally. Um, what do you see the competitive landscape to be at the moment and trying to deal with some of the ad fraud and some of those challenges? You know, it's interesting. Um, it's expensive to do your own advertising, direct sales and hiring a salesperson or, you know, programmatic still has a sales aspect and you need salespeople for that. You can run um entirely inside of the ad exchanges and not worry about that, but you will be closing yourself off to a lot of stuff. So having an ad management company, I think actually saves you money in the long run, especially for, for a smaller blogger, but certainly for, for a big company, like if you can save that money, why not? Because salespeople are usually some of the most expensive people you'll, you'll hire in terms of competition it's kind of interesting. Nobody really does this the way that we do it. And so we kind of feel like we're outliers to what's traditionally going on, but that's okay with us because we're, we're exceptionally obsessed with being forward thinking. So, you know, there are other companies that somebody would compare us to simply because they also work with bloggers and they also place ads, but we kind of, that's the only thing that that, you know, that competitor would do 
whereas we are looking sort of at the entire landscape and the entire, basically the entire internet as, you know, we internally joke all the time that we're making the internet better one site at a time. Um, because we've, you know, we've forced our vloggers to care about things like site speed. We've convinced them to get better hosts. We've convinced them they don't need all of these trackers running on their website. And also, thank thankfully, so has GDPR. You know, all these things that would slow down their site and make for a bad user experience, we've convinced them that they don't need those things. And it, it really does put us in a, a different place because we're doing all of that education. I would like to see other companies doing that same kind of work because competition breeds great innovation. But for right now, you know, we just kind of focus on what we're doing and don't worry about anybody else. So you've mentioned quite a bit about community education. I guess this is a two-part question. Do you think like the fact that you've um, sponsored conferences and attending conferences Mm-hmm. How much of that indirectly has helped you get more word of mouth generated? And then the second part is, uh, you know, we spoke about as well, and, and you have your theory of content podcast and you're doing other education initiatives. What are some of the education, other things that you're doing, and how do you think that also plays part in, in um, building the trust and building that network that you guys are aspiring to build? Yeah. Um, I would say going to conferences is is a good portion of how we grow and how we've grown, you know, probably after our first year, Um, just getting out there and being knowledgeable. But we kind of, we don't come at these conferences from a place of let us tell you who we are and sell ourselves to you. We come from a place of um, let's help educate you. So like in that Everything Food Conference, I went and did a live theory of content podcast with my podcast partner, Josh. And Eric came and spoke about um, ad tech. We know that bloggers don't necessarily care about ad tech, but it's something that that we personally feel they should because when they're empowered and know how this stuff works, they can push for people to be better, whether they work with us or not. And that's kind of always been our thing is that we want to tell you more than you want to know, because when you know how any of this stuff works, you are empowered. And so we've got things like we're planning um, Mediavine University where we can um, do, I mean, all sorts of stuff. My, my marketing associate, Jenny, could tell you more. Mediavine University is her brainchild and she's got all kinds of stuff. We're also sponsoring a lot of retreats um, that bloggers themselves are putting together. We don't really care if they are bloggers that work with us or not, but we want people out there teach, you know, sharing their skills and teaching things. So like somebody doing a video retreat, we want to, we want to help support them. And because video is becoming such a major part of blogging at this point, stuff like that is, is kind of the direction that we're moving in, in terms of education. And then speaking at conferences, we talk a lot um, about how to work with brands and do influencer marketing the podcast itself, I think, is a, a great way, you know, and it, it's funny because I didn't know anything about SEO six years ago, nothing at all. And I, everything I learned, I learned from the guys in our building of Food Fanatic mm-hmm. and, the t- and also having conversations with Josh. And it's all so straightforward and easy to me now 
But that's because they don't ever overcomplicate what SEO actually is. And that's simply having good content that's easily found, right? There's no tricks or games or, you know, add this thing to your website and Google will suddenly put you in the top spot for everything, which I see a lot of other SEO people talking about because it makes them sound good and it, and it feels like something a blogger can do that will help them rather than just constantly writing content. That can't possibly be the secret to it, right? But that is the secret. It's just constantly write good content. And so I think that's, it just all goes back to, you know, what we want to do is be transparent and say, you know, here are the things that have made us grow. We know that they can make you grow. Let us help you do them. With, with SEO, like if you've got the good foundations and your content marketing or your content efforts just compound, there's, there's a recent post I read about that and I totally agree. That, exactly. Like, both, both work hand in hand. It's just to compound the effort exponentially. Grow. Yeah. It's not rocket science, but some folks like to make it seem that way so that you'll pay them money. Unfortunately, or they, or they might do PBNs or something like that, which which ever complicates every, everything in anyway. So, right, uh, right, which I don't agree with. No, uh, with with the you mentioned on the point about education that you want to give more than people expect, mm -hmm. um, and that's what helps them empower them. That's an interesting point that you make because a lot of other publishers that come from many publishing companies that the the approach that they might be taking or. Uh, yeah, some of those people that I've spoken in previous episodes, they say that we look for underserving audiences. So they look, we look for their needs and we try to cater to that. Why are you taking that other approach? I think because when we, when we decided to start doing this, we realized that we had more knowledge than the average blogger and that did not seem right. These are exceptionally smart passionate people that simply want to do the best by their business and capitalizing off of that does not feel right to us. It never has, you know, it's one of the reasons that as soon as we grew to a certain size and, and could make the change, we changed our revenue share so that the more you grow, the more you get back. Um, and it's not traffic based, it's ad impression based because we really drive our bloggers to write good content that is long and engaging um, because it helps their sites in every aspect, right? It keeps time on site high, it keeps dwell time low. I mean, sorry, it keeps dwell time high, bounce rate low. Yeah. And so those are the things we encourage them to do simply for from an SEO aspect, but it also makes their advertising money better. And, you know, everything that we do, we do with that in mind, the, the idea that we want to make their site and their content better and changing that revenue share was like a no brainer because, you know, we did have a little bit of pushback because we've always had this, this core value of treating everyone the same. And that's exactly what we do. But it's kind of like, this is an incentive for you to create better content because you don't have to get more traffic to reach these goals. You need to get more ad impressions and you get more ad impressions by having more content. Does that make sense? Yeah, but people might naturally think, okay, well, if I need to get more ad impressions, I need to get more traffic so that people can- really Yeah, and I mean, that is that is one, that is one avenue to it. But- 
the people that grow their traffic with terrible blog posts that aren't long or engaging or whatever, the advertisers don't respond as well to them. So if they were growing their traffic and also making better content, they would make even more money. But can, can, can it be like you, less is more so you can really focus on creating, I mean, for those public bloggers out there who are listening to this, couldn't they just make less blog posts, make sure that it's really engaging so that they can build ad impressions that way? Is that? Yeah, that's saying? exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. 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 If you have, if you have content that is engaging and people are staying on site for a long time and they're scrolling for a long time and they're staying engaged in what you've written, advertisers will pay for that. Right. And so like one of the, one of the things that we do that literally no other company in the space does is that we lazy load all ads that are below the fold. That means that when someone loads your website, they don't exist. So they don't impact your site load time, but much like Facebook, where when you keep scrolling through your feed on your phone, you, you continue to see ads. If you have a 10,000 word post with 50 photos in it, we're gonna keep serving ads as long as the reader is engaged, but we're not gonna load a bunch of ads at the bottom of the post that they never scroll to. So every ad that we serve has an incredibly high viewability score because we won't serve it until it's actually going to be seen. And advertisers pay top dollar for that. It is literally the first time in the history of the of advertising. Like ro- advertising's been around since Roman times, right? This is the first time in the history of advertising that advertisers can know whether or not their ad was seen. We have the technology now for them to know. And so for us, that's been something that we've always built our technology around because it didn't make sense to us to serve an ad that wasn't seen because that's providing no value to the advertiser. And it also slows down your site, which ruins the user experience. So by catering to the user experience, we're also catering to what the advertiser wants and they will pay more for that. That makes sense, yeah. So with that in mind, do you, are you planning on creating new different product variations? Um, around the ad product on on your for your for Medivine, are you looking to uh, you cater for video or different other different types? Oh of yeah, things? oh yeah. We've we did we dubbed twenty eighteen the year of video. We've already put out two new video products. You know, we we worked really hard to build some stuff that was nice and fast for SEO, but also was the right technology to keep the viewability score high. So what we saw for a long time, and we actually lost some publishers over, was our competitors building stuff, building video stuff that wasn't seen by anyone. So it would start to play below the fold or whatever, and it would serve a video ad, but it would serve a video ad that was never seen. So it provided no value to the advertiser and it slowed down the site. So a lot of times people were clicking away. Um, before the ad could load, especially on mobile. Well, and so mobile. for us, that was that was not a good experience, yeah. right? And so, so it took us about two years to build the video products that we have now, but we personally think it was worth it because our CPMs for those video units are ridiculous. Some of them are as high as $30, wow. as high as $15 on mobile. 
having a $15 CPM on a mobile device where there aren't cookies that they can access to know exactly who they're, they're advertising to is ridiculous. Like it's unheard of, but we created a video unit um, that sits in the bottom of the, the browser window. We call it the video adhesion. And so it sits in the bottom of the mobile browser window and is constantly seen. And it, we, it's so revolutionary, we actually applied for a patent on it. That's and it. so, yeah, so we keep, we keep working on stuff like that. How about mobile? Like, I know SEO, like, it's been, mobile indexes now rolling out, and I guess the different, the content format has changed, like, before, like, now it's more acceptable to have, you know, accordion or, like, collapsible content, where before and desktop mm -hmm. it wasn't the same thing. So how are you adapting, even though it's responsive design, how are you adapting the advertising to cater to better mobile ad performance? And the second part of the question is, um, do you think that mobile conversion rates and ad performance is going to come in in par with desktop? Because I don't see that from my perspective yet to, to, to have reached that point. Yeah, it hasn't reached that point yet. It's probably going to take some time. Um, advertising as a, an industry, right? Like the actual people that want to put something in front of a reader's face, those guys move exceptionally slow. They always have, you know, it, it, it is literally mad men. And so they are getting better about mobile CPMs. You know, a couple of years ago, we could never get anything over a dollar. Well, now, now the average is, is three to $4. And then this video unit is just bananas. And so I think it is moving in the right direction, but it's, I mean, it's the same thing as viewability, right? Like you would think that they would, the minute the technology was available that, to only pay for viewed ads, that they all would have jumped on it, but they haven't. It's taken them several years and it is slowly moving in that direction to where they're only going to pay for ad impressions that were viewed, but it's taking a lot longer than any of us certainly expected. In terms of what we're doing for mobile technology, probably 80% of the traffic on our network is, is mobile. So we're constantly reevaluating like what we need to be doing for this. I couldn't speak to the actual like technology changes that we have in the pipeline because I haven't talked to my developers about that. But I know that that is one of the most important things to their job. Like the two things that they focus on first are mobile and video. Are they focusing on AMP as well? Because AMP, like, and I'm sure you've seen reports like from Chartbeat and Parsley and all yeah. these companies about how massively Google is driving more referral traffic. Yeah, so it's in, it's interesting. AMP does not, so we, oh, it's a long story. So we actually were the first ad company to have an AMP approved ad in the space, like in our space of ad management stuff. And we have, we've always supported it, but advertisers are not quick to jump on that bandwagon, especially because AMP ads require a lot more coding. They're just a lot more work, which means they're more expensive, which means not a lot of people do it. And so there's less competition for the auction. So when our bloggers run AMP, we actually see their earnings go way, way down. Because as soon as that signal is in place, search engines automatically switch 
them over to AMP, where the, whether the reader tried to go to the mobile, the regular mobile page or the AMP page. Yeah. The same thing. The same thing happens with Pinterest. Pinterest has a flag for, and we actually figured out. We did some testing and and um, figured out that it was related to the rich pins flag. So if you had rich rich pins and AMP enabled with the Pinterest mobile app. From that point on, as soon as you got that AMP flag, you were being redirected to the AMP page in the Pinterest browser. And so we would see people's earnings just have overnight um, because so much of our network uh, gets their traffic from Pinterest. Um, and so we've definitely found that currently it's not worth turning that on, especially for like... For the Hollywood gossip, AMP was a wonderful thing that we deployed there because it's a news site, right? And so those are getting re rewarded in the carousel. But for Food Fanatic, AMP was a horrible idea. Google has actually admitted that they are not, other than news sites, they are not rewarding sites for having these flags, for having AMP enabled. Like you're not getting into the carousel over somebody else who has better content than you. And so it just kind of was like, well, that's not worth doing because you're going to lose all of your income for something that's not helping you grow. Right. So, yeah, it's interesting that you said that. So more, so you're saying that you've seen more new sites and yeah, um, some, even, even if they get traffic, it's, it's in, in decreasing the, the revenue. The revenue. Yeah, it's decreasing the revenue big time because the average the average CPM for an AMP ad, I think, is like 60 cents. And the average uh, CPM for a regular Mediavine ad is like $2.50. That's a massive difference. Yeah. It's a huge, huge difference. And mm -hmm. so there have been many, many bloggers that we've helped walk back AMP. You know, and we're keeping the support there because we hope that advertisers do eventually embrace it because we are all for a faster mobile web. But until they do, it's not worth leaving all that money on the table. What do you think What do you think advertisers have to do to overcome like, the technology hurdles? Like, like you said, because it's going to cost a lot to adopt new technology. Yeah, I don't, you know, I don't, other than them, you know, advertisers hiring more, programmers that get better at this stuff and can release it faster. I don't know much, you know, what they could do. AMP is so restrictive in what it allows through that you'd have to have people who are AMP experts creating the, the code around the advertisement. And at some point that becomes cost prohibitive, right? For them to even push an ad out and get the return that they want from it. Yeah, I guess it's pretty. That's pretty case and simple in that regard. So, what are you what are you looking at moving forward for the end of this from now to the end of this year for both Mediavine and for your for your publishers and bloggers that are on your network? What are some of the things that you're looking forward to to achieving? So we're about to release our first plug. Well, our first non-control panel plugin. So we're we have Mediavine Create coming out um, this month. 
And that is, it starts out as a recipe card. So it's marking everything up in schema and all that good stuff, but it's more robust than pretty much any recipe card on the market in terms of the things that it offers and the, the user interface and all this stuff. Like I'm, as a food blogger, I'm extremely excited about it. And what we're, if, what we're, the roadmap for that, the reason why we're calling it Mediavine Create instead of like Mediavine Recipes or something like that is that this card is going to be the first of its type to also cater to other niches that have sort of instructable ideas. So craft and DIY, you know, they want to provide their readers with principal, that's the word I'm looking for, instruction, printable instructions, but also supply lists, right? So if you're going to do a craft that requires like you like you know the big thing in crafting right now i think is slime which is like my niece is obsessed with this stuff and it's like it's this gooey stuff that you make and you it, you can just play with it right kind of like the the stress balls that you used to buy but it's it's homemade and and all of this stuff but you need like glue and borax or contact solution and glitter and all this stuff. And like, if you get to the craft store and you don't remember what's in all this stuff, that can be annoying. And so that's something that could easily be printed, right? But typically craft bloggers don't have a printable card that they can offer their readers that also like has instructions and stuff like that, or they resort to using a recipe card. The problem with that is that the recipe card will then mark their non-food ingredients up in schema as food. And Google will ding you for that. You can actually get a manual action against you for that. So, um, you seen that happen? I have seen it happen. Yeah. And so we thought, well, you know, for us, the recipe card is one of the most viewable places for us to put an advertisement. So why not provide that, solve a problem for the community, but also give them an additional place to advertise? Because we work with a ton of craft and DIY bloggers. So that's coming. Um, and then eventually on the roadmap, we're going to put something out similar, but we have some different ideas around it for travel, potentially financial bloggers. And then after that, I think on the roadmap is uh, a social media sharing plugin because they're all terrible and slow and they break blogs all the time. Mm-hmm. And so we want to do a social sharing plugin. Um, we're building a theme which I think will be out in 2019. We're just really, the the awesome thing about what we're doing is that we sort of, we solved the monetization portion. Like we solved how to make money as a company. So now we can just go and make really cool stuff. Whereas you look at the other companies that started by making really cool stuff, but had no way to make money. They're now, you know, getting investors or looking for ways to sell this and create subscription models and things like that. We don't have to do any of that. So it makes it really cool because we're, you know, Mediavine Create is going to be free and you don't have to be a Mediavine blogger to use it. We're just letting anybody can have it. Yeah, you're taking the mission in a bigger scale. Yeah. Yeah, we want to make, like, this is the first card, instructable card, that has been built with site speed, user experience, and advertising in mind, like, all at the same time, using sort of blogger feedback, talking to advertisers about what they would want to see in this space, and we're obsessed with SEO and site speed, so we just brought that to the table. Right. And so then we hired a bunch of really smart developers 
to help Eric and, and built this card. So we're really, really excited about that. The other thing is the video products. We continue to work really hard on the video products that we have coming out. So like our video players getting playlist functionality added. We're going to be doing playlists on that, that mobile adhesion unit, just more and more opportunities for ads to serve to your users and make you money, but also for you to feature your content. I look forward to seeing the results from that. Have you ever thought about native and, and looking at content recommendation? Oh, yeah. So we, we work with a couple of companies like um, Triple Lift and ShareThrough yep. um, that are in our auction. You'll see them on our sites if they win the auction. We don't just let them run. They, they have to win the auction. So the way that it works is they, along with all the other ad partners we have, go into the auction and whoever is willing to pay the blogger the highest bid gets to serve their ad. So you may not always see a triple left ad because they weren't the highest bidder. And then we have a, we have a partnership with Zergnet where mm-hmm. they have built a traffic exchange for our Mediavine bloggers. So half of the unit is content recommendation that they pay for. Like if someone clicks on it, you get paid a CPM for it. The other half of the content recommendation is content from within your niche and the top posts in your niche. And basically if someone clicks on one of those, then your Oda click and your content gets filled into that ad unit across the network until someone else clicks back to your site. Understood. Yeah, so that, that's, yeah. not, that's nothing, um, so you still wanna use, go down the partnership route for native and not look at building something. For now, Yeah. for now. Um, triple lift and share through are really good at it. And so rather than reinvent the wheel to start with, we, you know, it's kind of similar to gum gum, right? Gum gum does in image ads Mm -hmm. and they're really, really good at it. Um, and they built something that is really, really spectacular. So for us, rather than, uh, reinvent the wheel and have the maintenance of that, and also try to get the adoption of that from our advertising partners who already have a relationship with GumGum. It just makes sense to negotiate a deal with GumGum where our publishers get a better rate than if they would work with GumGum on their own because we are such a large network of people with valuable traffic. Yeah, you got to play to your strengths like you said, so absolutely agree. Yeah. Just to, uh, I guess, uh, finish off, I just want to look, uh, ask you just more around t- your tips and advice for A, your career advice and B, if someone was going to be in your shoes, what mm-hmm. advice would, they give, would you give them Amber to get to the point where you are now? I know you went through some of the lessons and learnings, but just more personal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's funny. I was actually asked this question the other day by someone. In terms of career... It's kind of funny. I, you know, I have a teaching degree and I spent 13 years as a fraud analyst. Wow. I, there's no reason that I should be in the, the career that I'm in right now, but I adore it. And I think that one of the things that's nice is, or the reason that I'm here is I never stopped learning. Right. So even when I was working full time as a fraud analyst at Travelocity, I never stopped learning about technology. Like I started my blog when I was there. 
and started learning about blogging and recipe writing and, you know, all of these things that were sort of a side passion. And then I've always been into graphic design. I grew up with an uncle who is in advertising and he let me intern for him in the summers. And so I have a base in there and actually did graphic design as a degree for a little while before I switched to teaching. And it kind of gave me this really widely varied, you know, field of interest that kind of blows my mind every day. The stuff that I use for my job every day that is that is stuff that I just picked up along the way when I was 16 years old. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but I would just say be open to never stop learning. Like, don't be done with that. There's so many people I know that are like, oh, I hate reading, or I don't want to read, or I don't want to learn. And it's it's kind of like, well, if you're doing that, that's fine. Like, obviously you do you, but you're closing yourself off to a lot of opportunities that you may not even realize, right? So like, when I started working for the guys, I was just going to help them build a food site. I had no interest in SEO. I just wanted to help connect them to food bloggers and, and all this stuff. And they started teaching me about SEO and I found it so interesting that it became a passion. And now, you know, it's how we grew Food Fanatic and out of Food Fanatic is how we grew Mediavine. And so I just, you have to be open to that. You have to be open to that kind of stuff. And I would say in order to get to where I am today or to where the company is today, just be true to yourself and be transparent. You know, I've never once sold someone on, on what Mediavine is. I just tell you what we are and what we do. And if you're interested, cool. If you're not, I really don't care. You know, I don't want to ever pressure someone into what we're doing here because it's not the right fit for every person. But I think if we just lay it out there, like, you know, this is who we are, this is what we do, then people will respond to that appropriate, you know, like attracts like. And so if we're just honest and open and say, this is the stuff we do, people, people will gravitate to that. And I think if you do that as, as a human or as a company, you get better returns. Amber, thank you so much for for your time and going through everything today. So thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the State of Digital Publishing podcast. Listen to past and upcoming episodes across all major podcast networks. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and join our community groups. Finally, visit stateofdigitalpublishing.com for premium information, resources, and become a member today. Until next time. Five-Hour Tea with caffeine from green tea leaves. It's delicious, energizing, and comes in three amazing flavors. With zero sugar and four calories, it fits your life. With its compact size and portability, it goes where you go, to the campsite, the hiking trail, the beach, without weighing you down. Five-Hour Tea, caffeine from green tea leaves. Release your natural sight from the makers of Five-Hour Energy. For more information, visit fivehourenergy.com. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the...
Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, wah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.